Hello, FCS Nation. It's finally time for your show again. I'm your host, Kevin Marshall. Normally, I'd be coming to you from our flagship station in Missoula, Montana, but it's the preseason, so I'm coming to you from my house in Stevensville, Montana. Join me like he does every week during the football season is the co-host of this program, Mr. Stone Labanowitz. Stone is coming to you from his broadcast center in the sunshine state of Florida. Preseason top 25, which we released in July. Let's just get right to that. Number one, the defending national champions, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Number two, Montana State. Number three, Furman. Number four, North Dakota State. And number five, Idaho. Very strange to not see NDSU at least number one or number two. We'll talk a bit more about that in just a few minutes. Number six is Samford. Number seven, Holy Cross. Number eight, Incarnate Word. Number nine, William & Mary. And rounding out the top 10 is SEMO. Number 11 is North Carolina Central. Number 12, Weber State. 13, North Dakota. 14, the Montana Grizzlies. 15, Sacramento State. 16, New Hampshire. 17, Mercer. 18, UC Davis. 19, Jackson State. And number 20, Southeastern Louisiana. Number 21 is Eastern Kentucky. Number 22 is Richmond. Number 23 is Youngstown State. Number 24 is Rhode Island. And rounding out the FCS Nation preseason top 25, the Western Carolina Catamounts. Stone, put this together. Your initial thoughts on the preseason top 25. I think it's fair. I think every single team and where they're placed, there's an argument to be made either way, right? And I think that's the beauty of preseason polls. It pisses a lot of people off, but at the same time, it's almost needed in a sense because there are some teams floating around, whether it's the FCS, whether it's the FBS, where you're just not quite sure. I think when you talk about the list generally, I, I think it's all fair. I think there are some some thought-provoking ones, I'll say. But, Kev, I know we're going to review the top 25. It's what we always do. So I went to our poll on Twitter. Yes, you can find it. It's a pinned tweet at FCS Nation Radio 1. You know what? I'm going to go through and surf through the top 25 list that we have posted on our Twitter that we posted back in July and try to sift out and see what people's biggest complaints were and, and things that people would probably want us to answer. So, Kev, I haven't prepped you for this, but I, I got some rapid-fire questions for you that need to be answered. Let's go. All right, so I'm going to list off some Twitter accounts and some of the replies that they had dropped down. So I didn't use a, a certain person for this one because this was – it took about 50 to 60% of the replies. I'm just going to shoot it at you. Furman over NDSU, question mark, exclamation mark. How dare you, Kev? Furman is loaded. Bring back great quarterback, almost everybody on the defense. They lost a couple of offensive linemen. Furman, look, people can say what they want to. Uh, I do not view the world through purple lens glasses. I think everyone knows that. So is there going to be anybody who's going to have more bias towards Furman than me? And yet I still rank them number three in the preseason poll. They were, uh, let's call it a questionable holding call away from beating Incarnate Word at Incarnate Word in the playoffs last season. And we all saw how much trouble NDSU had with the Word in the Fargo Dome. I think Furman could have gone there and at least done that and probably would have ended up beating NDSU then. So NDSU, Stone, it's the same things that we talked about all last season. Quarterback play. I think the days of NDSU having NFL talent at the quarterback position are obviously over, at least for a minute. Uh, I like Cam Miller. I think everybody who's ever listened to this show knows that. He stuck it out when they brought in numerous transfers instead of hitting the portal. I admire that young man. If NDSU is going to get back to Frisco this year, 
or if they are going to be a national title contender, he must get better. Let's keep it rolling. This is from at John Scholl. Did incarnate word dirty, Kev? What the hell? There's a lot of turnover with incarnate word. Double-digit transfers brought in, but I like the guys that they brought in. Lose the head coach. So I think number eight in the country, if you're incarnate word and you've come from where you've come from, can you really poo-poo a preseason rank of number eight in the entire country? (laughs) I don't think so. Okay, that's beautifully said. Hey, let's keep it moving. This is from at Devin O'Hara on Twitter. Do you know how absurd it is to have Sac State not even in the top ten and below all three teams they beat last season? Dot, dot, dot. Disrespectful. I don't think it's disrespectful. They were a good team last season. They'll be a good team this season. Need to see what the new head coach is able to do there. Talk to him at Big Sky Media Day. Nice guy. Was on the staff. Will do a good job. But a lot of offensive production went away from that Sac State Hornets football team. I think 15 is a fair place for them to start. I expect them to climb up. But let's see if what happened there was lightning in a bottle under Troy Taylor or if it's something that's going to be going forward, we're going to look at Sac State as a permanent member of our top 10 in FCS football. We'll see. I think 15 is fair. At Coach Willie Simmons Visor on Twitter, I don't understand how y'all keep putting JSU in these rankings after losing all those players and bringing in an entire new coaching staff. Valid point, but the coaching staff isn't entirely new. Head coach T.C. Taylor was on the staff. He'll do a good job. Now, they open up with a tough game this week. In week zero, we'll just let the show move along a little bit, and we'll talk more about Jackson State in just a few minutes. At sidelines, Austin P. Why is everyone so high on SEMO? Not a knock on them or anything. I'm just genuinely asking. Quarterback comes back, offensive line comes back, and they have Geno Hess. I don't think anything else needs to be said about SEMO. That's going to be a good football team. They'll win that league, and they'll be a tough out in the playoffs, just like they were right here in front of my own two eyes in Missoula, Montana, at Washington Grizzly Stadium last playoff season. Short and sweet. They got Geno Hess. They'll be all right. All right, next. At Lawrence Smith. Richmond, huh? Richmond is going to be, look, when you get down to 24, 23, you know, you're really just kind of looking for teams. And I like what Richmond has done. Yes, they lose the two guys, the quarterback and the wide receiver who were grad transfers from VMI who has no grad school, perhaps be in the discussion for the playoffs at the end of the season. And we have to look at it that way, right? When you're down 24, 25, these are teams that could make the playoffs. Maybe. Next up, at Internal Colonel on Twitter. My colonels are coming in hot. At Parker McKinney has EKU football ready for success. True or false? I think true. Uh, Parker McKinney, uh, for those people who follow FBS football, it seems like Parker McKinney has been in Eastern Kentucky as long as Neelon Green. <laughs> it does. It does. All right. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about a fella – you know, who, who's been there for that long, knows the system, took them to the playoffs last year, can really spin it. I know, Stone, one of your favorite quarterbacks in FCS, can really, got a really nice arm. They should not have lost to Gardner-Webb in the playoffs last year. That was a heck of a football game. But I think Eastern Kentucky was favored, and Gardner-Webb put it on them. Let's see how they rebound from that. Parker McKinney can lead the Colonels to the promised land this year. Speaking of Gardner-Webb, this from at James Monty on Twitter. Missing a Gardner-Webb team that went undefeated in conference play last year and won a playoff game. They returned 17 starters, including an All-American on each side of the ball. Your thoughts? They don't return the quarterback, and he was the fellow that made that go. Gardner-Webb, again, you could swap out 24 and 25 with Gardner-Webb and, and, and uh, somebody else if you wanted to, uh, the, but 
I chose who I chose because I think those teams are on the rise. Trey Lamb has done a great job at Gardner-Webb. That's not an easy place to recruit to or coach at. And I think that maybe it might take them a little while to get going this year. But I guarantee you by the end of the season, Gardner-Webb will be a team nobody will want to play. All right, last one for you here. This one's from Who's Yo Daddy on Twitter. Thank God you didn't put Citadel on the list. Oh, and by the way, Kevin, can you stop tweeting about them as well? Hashtag Go Dogs. I got nothing to respond to that. <laughs> um, the, the only thing I can say to that is that it's the Citadel. And no, I won't. Who's your daddy was an alias for Stone Labanowitz, your partner in crime here. All right, Kev, so you asked me my thoughts generally about the top 25. I'm going to turn it over to you. Your thoughts. Do you have any regrets? Would you have any slight movements here or there? And how do you think the list was received overall by the general public? I think it did pretty well. I mean, there aren't too many things that get posted on social that do 500,000 views and 1,215 likes. So, you know, we're thankful for that. I'm pleased with the response, and I think that there's one team we didn't talk about who could be extremely good, number 23, Youngstown State. That could be a good football team. And number 25, Western Carolina, I chose them because they closed really strong in the SOCON last year. If they can get off to any kind of a fast start, Western Carolina is a team that can blow the doors off. You're going to be real interested to see how the Catamounts do in 2023. It's time for us to take a quick break. Stone Labanowitz will sit down with Mr. Chris Van Dyne from the Phil Steele magazine. And following that, Stone will sit down with Sam Herter from Hero Sports FCS. All of that and much, much more next, right here on FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. FCS Nation, thanks for sticking with us during the break. We just reviewed the Top 25 poll. Of course, you can find that on our Twitter, at FCS Nation Radio 1. You guys ate that up over half a million impressions appreciate you guys for the engagement kind of going after kev and asking him the right questions and i felt like in the last segment i relayed your guys's questions to kev and put him on the spot made him answer that so hopefully you guys enjoyed that but to keep this train of moving bringing in our guest chris van dyne major major coordinator and contributor for phil Steele's fcs digital magazine yes you heard that right fcs Phil Steele. They typically don't go together, but it's 2023. Things are ramping up as the FCS becomes more popular. Phil Steele and his crew are getting involved. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Hopefully we can collaborate and this partnership can grow between Phil Steele, Chris Van Dyne, the FCS crew over there, and FCS Nation. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on. And the FCS is definitely a growing market. And to be honest, it's something that we've been involved in longer than a lot of people realize. Phil actually printed an FCS magazine probably about seven or eight years ago. Wow. To be honest, the sales weren't uh, weren't quite enough to justify to continue to print it. But uh, but we do have the digital magazine. We have two pages on every FCS team. You know, the coverage you're not going to get in a lot of places. So uh, we we really have uh, ramped up our our production or marketing of the FCS this year. So a lot of people don't realize we've been doing FCS write-ups the last few years on philsteel.com, but this year we decided, you know, Phil really wants to dedicate more time and effort into the FCS in the summer once we're done with our FBS magazine, and uh, it's been a, a, a product of uh, a little bit of success this year because I think a lot of people are taking notice. If you guys are foaming out the mouth like I am and I'm speaking to the audience here, you got to get a hold of Chris on Twitter, or at least give him a follow at ChrisV160. That's where this content gets posted. Okay, so I'm surprised to hear that it's a team of four in the FCS. My next question with that would be, do you guys 
freaking sleep. I mean, four of you guys and, and, and how your magazine is constructed, right? You go position by position for anybody who doesn't know what the Phil Steele magazine is, position by position, at least a paragraph or two of just tidbits, right? Stats and information that it's not that easy to find. So you got to do some digging. You got to create relationships with some of these staff. You have schedules dating back to 2018. You guys have on here. You guys have some of the statistical leaders, right? When you just want some of those big names, if you're a casual, do you guys sleep? How much time is put in to making just one team's two page FCS digital, man? It's got to be ruthless on you guys it, it's uh you know the write-ups don't take as long as you probably uh think because we do have the previous year's write-ups to start with and so it's a good starting point as far as you know we always look at it as a three-part process when we do the position write-ups we we look at what the team was looking like coming into last year how they performed and then what they're looking like coming into this year whether they're more experienced less experienced today at transfers stuff like that. So uh, it, it, it doesn't take that long to put together the write-ups, but it's gathering the information on the roster. Some of the FCS teams, uh, you know, it's a battle getting some of the roster sometimes. We, some of the SWAC schools just released their roster this week, which for us is very valuable. We need to know what, how many offensive line starters you have coming back when we do these write-ups. Uh, we need to know how many of your top 20 tacklers are coming back, stuff like that. Um, and then additionally, you know, our right-hand mag, our right-hand page has all the stats and information. We have a couple guys that work on that. So uh, those guys uh, put together the right. So that's actually probably about six, I should say, that uh, have some contribute, some contributing to the uh, FCS magazine. Four of us handle the write-ups, and there's a couple guys that handle the stats and information, just plugging the uh, the stats and the schedules and the stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it takes some time. Uh, you know, it, it eats up pr- pretty much all of our summer, but uh, it's a lot of fun. I actually, and and I, I. I not ashamed to say this. I actually enjoy writing the FCS a little more than the FBS. You know, we, we watch the media days. Uh, we get information. A lot of people might not, uh, catch on to. So, um, it's, it's fun because it's stuff that not everybody's paying attention to. You know, I cover the SEC. Everybody's covering Georgia, Florida and Alabama, you know, but not a lot of people know what's going on in the Ivy League. So uh, it, it, it is a lot of fun. It's something I actually really enjoy. So let's talk about that because Phil Steele was on the Sports Gambling Podcast and Phil dropped this quote, which I thought was badass, on Sports Gambling Podcast with my boys, Sean Green, Colby Dant, Ryan Kramer. Phil said, here's the thing about the FCS. There is so much value in it opposed to the FBS. Like there's just so much information that the sports books don't have that the general public doesn't have that you can take advantage of when you're putting together these previews. Do you kind of get the sense that he's right on the money with that? Do you feel the same thing? Absolutely. Uh, you know, just a few examples from last year, things that we found that uh, the, the, the so-called Vegas experts or, you know, the, the, the line makers probably weren't uh, paying total attention to, you know, Murray State lost their quarterback, D.J. Williams, at the uh, very last play of the first half against Texas Tech. We knew he was hurt. Uh, they came back the next week uh, against Jacksonville State, and uh, we expected the offense to struggle without him because they, they only completed one pass in the second half after he went out, and they, they had looked pretty uh, pretty impressive offensively in the first half, and they were uh, getting 12.5 that following week and lost 34-3. to um, you know, th- th- there's a couple other examples. Uh, uh, Western Illinois was a team that we were 
looking to play against early last year because we knew they only had three starters coming back. <laughs> it was a very inexperienced team and playing in you know an extremely tough FCS conference in the Missouri Valley. So uh, we were expecting them to be down, and that they did uh, definitely struggle not only early in the season but all season. But there were some very lopsided scores. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of value in the FCS because it's frankly the, the lines aren't nearly as sharp. Right when the SC, when those SEC games are going on, every ounce of information has been poured out to the public that could possibly be found. Uh, it's very easy to find with the FCS. You really have to dig into it. So uh, there, I definitely agree with Phil. The FCS is where to go. Uh, for that uh, for that value. All right, I want to talk about this. I think you guys have a top 40 list of FCS teams. That's what you had mentioned, right? Yes. Teams outside of the top 10, right? Because, of course, we can we can play the, is it SDSU versus the field, right? Who are the actual contenders? But we know who they are, right? It's, it's South Dakota State, it's Montana State, and it's North Dakota State. Everybody else, step right up to the plate and try your best. But for you outside of the top 10, some teams that you had dug into that you weren't really familiar with, but finding the stats, finding some of the players that are returning, the experience on the team, prior score lines from the season, who's a flyer in that 10, 15, 20 range where you're like, I don't know, I think this team's going to surprise a lot of people. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll go with uh, a team that you're very familiar with, uh, Southern Illinois. All right. <laughs> And I, I am not doing this just because I know you you started a, a quarterback for Southern Illinois. That was who I was going with before. At one point, you know, Southern Illinois was ranked 14th in the country yeah. last year. And I think the Salukis are a team to look out for. Talking with Chris Van Dyne, a major coordinator and contributor for Phil Steele's FCS Digital Magazine. Chris, thank you so much again for joining the show. And hopefully you could become an FOS, a friend of the show, a reoccurring guest. We're going to do this every week. Thanks for having me on, Stone. FCS Nation, we're back better than ever, of course. Appreciate you guys sticking with us during the break. Just got done with that Chris Van Dyne interview. I'm mind blown. I don't even know what to think right now. Maybe I'm a naive 24-year-old kid. I just wasn't aware what kind of machine Phil Steele is and the team that he's put together. Chris, a major contributor. He handles all of the FCS stuff. Two pages on each team. That's that FCS Digital Magazine. That's $25. Go purchase it at philsteel.com. And give Chris a follow at chrisv160. And like we always do, we're going to keep this train a-moving. Next up, we got Sam Herter of Hero Sports, obviously a huge friend of the show. Going to be a reoccurring guest all season long. Had a chance to sit down with Sam on Thursday, and I said, you know what? I'm going to approach this from the angle of no prep, just want to line up 100 questions and throw them at Sam. Sam is a book of unlimited knowledge. I think everybody knows that. He knows something about everything, no matter what it is, no matter what conference, no matter what team. So I said, okay, it's week zero. There's not much going on. Let's go over some of the big storylines. Let's go over some of the burning questions that our audience has that I think the general FCS audience has. So that's how I did it. Me and Sam just wrapped for about 10, 15 minutes. Let's jump right into this interview. At Sam Herder FCS on Twitter, if you don't follow Sam already, he puts out articles, he puts out clips, interviews, pods, everything, every day, all week, 24-7. Sam does not sleep. Similar to Kevin and myself. So, Sam, just right off the bat, let's get this one out of the way. Is it SDSU versus the field? I think it's the question that's been asked 100 times. I, I think realistically we all know the answer, but for you, again, just picking your brain, is it SDSU versus the field this year? Yeah, I, I think it has to be. I think you have to look at it that way, you know, coupled with, um, you know, I mean, 
obviously South Dakota State coming off of uh, the year they had last year, all of the guys they have coming back, um, you know, Mason McCormick, Garrett Greenfield, the Yankee twins, uh, those guys taking their extra year uh, to come back for their six years of eligibility. Um, you couple that with what NDSU loses, um, plus what South Dakota State did to NDSU in the title game and what they did to Montana State in the semifinal game. And it just seems like everything is, is stacking up here for South Dakota State to, to run the table uh, once again in the FCS. The main story this offseason in the FCS, like what's that narrative? What do you continuously get asked? What do you continuously cover or have to report on? What's the one thing that stands out for all FCS in general, the main story this offseason? Yeah, I think the, the main storyline is South Dakota State. I um, mean, I know we just said we don't want to talk about them uh, <laughs> anymore, but it, it does seem to be the main storyline. But I'll spin it off of that um, as far as who are the contenders, right? You know, the kind of the main storyline, it is South Dakota State versus the field. But who are the top contenders um, in the FCS? And uh, we talk about it often. You guys talk about it often that the, the Midwest region of the country kind of seems to have a stranglehold on the FCS right now where – you look at you know who can challenge South Dakota State the most this season. It, it seems that that's going to be Montana State and North Dakota State. Outside of those two teams, you know, is there an East Coast team? Is there a more Southern-based team that can legitimately challenge a team like South Dakota State? Uh, because that's that's good for the FCS. You know, if you have a an FCS power in the CAA and in, in the Southland or the SoCon, you know, fans from all across the country are kind of tuned into the FCS and the FCS storylines. But when it's Montana State, North Dakota State, South Dakota State in the semifinals every single year. Yeah. You know, it feels like more of a regional subdivision uh, when it comes to the national title pitcher. And I, you know, it's my hope as someone that covers this and doesn't care who wins and don't, doesn't care who loses. I, you know, I, I want to see a SoCon team win the national title. And I'm not just saying that because this is because Kevin's on the show. You know, I, I think it'd be cool. Maybe <laughs> something different for the FCS. All right, next game circled on the schedule for Sam Herder. Who has Sam Herder's interest, whether he's contractually obligated to cover them or not? Sam, where are your eyes early in this season? It, it's hard not to start out with Montana State going to South Dakota State. Uh, you know, a battle of, of two top two, top three teams, depending on, on what top 25 polar ballot uh, you're looking at. And so that's one that, that really sticks out uh, to me. You know, I'm curious, Furman going to Kennesaw State, uh, kind of an interesting game just because, I mean, Kennesaw State is, is not FBS uh, just yet. They will be FBS next year. Kennesaw is playing as an FCS independent this year, but Kennesaw is above the 63 scholarship limit during their transition. I mean, I think Furman can you know, very well go to Kennesaw and get a win there. And so it's, it's, it's not an FBS win, but it's like a one and a half yeah. FBS win because of the scholarship thing. Um, and so that's a good one. I, I also really like Southern Illinois going to SEMO, um, a, a game that I think is going to have huge playoff implications, even though it is only in week three, you know, games like this, non-conference games like this, the, the playoff committee looks at them um, and looks at head to head, not only for the teams, but also the conferences, whether, um, you know, the Valley gets, you know, a fourth or fifth place team. And these are the type of games that the playoff committee looks at. So those, I mean, there's, there's a ton of really good non-conference games, but those are just a few of them. Yeah. I want to touch on a little nugget you just dropped on the floor talking about the playoff committee does pay attention to a lot of these non-conference games. I, I think it's something that the casual viewer doesn't really understand or isn't even able to comprehend, right? How are they weighing out these games in some of these non-conference ones, especially when the Missouri Valley and the big sky are kind of the top dogs and seems like they're the only ones when it comes to the playoff picture, FBS versus FCS games. What what are some of those that we should be on the lookout for? Of course, you've put out a bunch of those articles, again, at Sam Herder FCS. What's one that sticks out to you where you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I think they got a shot in this one. 
Yeah, I think the the top one that comes to mind is Idaho going to Nevada. Uh, Nevada's a team that really struggled defensively um, last year. Their, their pass defense is just not good. They gave up 55 points to uh, Tim Lindsay Scott and the boys at UIW. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much better Nevada is going to be defensively. And so uh, you have Idaho going there with Giovanni McCoy and Hayden Hatton, who I think is arguably maybe the best offensive player in the FCS uh, standout wide receiver for for Idaho. I think Idaho can go to Nevada and you know put up a fifty burger on them, similar to what UIW did last year, um, and get a win. Uh, I know you really like New Hampshire. Um, you like the, the player oh, yeah. uh, there of Max Rosmer. Um, Dylan Lobb is. You know, just all-purpose, all-American type of guy, just a playmaker all over the place. They're going to Central Michigan, um, and Central Michigan is not all that strong. Um, And even that, uh, the week before that UNH game, Central Michigan plays Notre Dame, and the week after, um, uh, they they play uh, Michigan State. And so you have an FCS opponent kind of sandwiched in between those two Power 5 opponents, I think it'd be pretty easy for Central Michigan to overlook an FCS team and just say, yeah, you know, we got this. You know, it's, they can't be as tough as Notre Dame. We don't have to prepare as hard. Well, New Hampshire has some dudes uh, offensively and at the defensive end position. And I think that's, that's the number two game for me that I've circled as far as an FCS over FBS win. You nailed the two that I had as well, so I don't have much to say other than that. Again, beautifully said, I think those are the two games that people can look at, and honestly, the sportsbook are going to respect it as well. right? I feel like those lines are going to be oddly low, and I think Central Michigan fans or backers, supporters, whatever, are going to fall into some sort of trap. That is a sandwich game. That's about as sandwich game as it gets, right? Right in between those two schools where your coaching staff is going to be as stressed as they've ever been, and you have a team like New Hampshire. I love Max Brosmer. You hinted at it. I hint at it every single week on Twitter. I'm a fan of this kid. There's so much to his game. He's so raw, but at the same time, so smart. And those are the most dangerous quarterbacks. And as far as upsetting an FBS team, I think they're definitely capable of doing it. You talked about Idaho and Giovanni McCoy and what he has as far as skill around him. And they never lack at Idaho. Eck and the boys, they do a great job recruiting. And they never lack with skill positions. I want to talk about Batman and Robbins, right? Some of the best quarterbacks and wide receivers around the country. Just give me two, three, maybe four pairs of guys that you know are just going to load up stat sheets week in and week out and are eventually going to become household names this season. Yeah, I think you have to start with McCoy um, and Hayden Hatton there. I think you know um, Hatton is just uh, physically uh, really, really impressive, and I, they have such a good thing going um, with that connection uh, as well. Um, so that's one. I think Michael Hears, we, we talked about Michael Hires, we talked about him. Um, his connection with Chandler Smith uh, coming back from a 1,000-yard season, uh, I think that's another really good duo there. You know, I really like uh, Mark Ronowski and Jackson Yonke. You can also, you know, throw Jane Yonke in there um, yeah. uh, as well. And so, I mean, that's the tough part with, with these connections where, uh, I mean, Chandler Smith and Michael Hires are probably going to put up a whole lot more yards than Mark Ronowski and, and Jackson Yonke. You know, one more as well. You know, I know you're all on the on the Holy Cross train, as am I. Uh, Matthew Sluka is a dude at, mm-hmm. uh, at quarterback, uh, dual threat guy, uh, just a beast with his legs. But I thought his passing from 2021 to 2022, he just looks so much more comfortable uh, passing the ball. And he has his top target back. And Jalen Coker, um, who's getting some NFL love as far as you know, a guy that physically translate to the translate. Uh, to the next level. So Sluka Coker at, at Holy Cross is, is another really good connection there. All right, let's talk about the Bison. We're going to do it, right? We talked about contenders and how it's really just South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Montana State. 
maybe Holy Cross, but Sam Herter doesn't think so, folks. He doesn't think they're capable of winning a national title. Seriously, though, Sam, North Dakota State, do they need to make any changes, or are they fine? Are we overreacting? I mean, they've been the most divisive team in the FCS. It's every day. Just open up the Twitter app, type in NDSU, and you're going to get a different take every day. They just come firing out of the woodworks. Again, do they need to make any changes, or are they fine? Yeah, I mean, NDSU certainly sucks up a lot of oxygen when it comes to FCS conversation. But, I mean, that um, I don't think there's any, any bias in that or anything. It's just when a team wins that many national titles, mm-hmm. then, um, you know, that's just, that's just naturally how it is. Everyone, um, even South Coast State this year, they're, all, they're still going to draw comparisons to NDSU just because when it comes to the FCS national pitcher, you know, you're trying to always compare teams to NDSU because they haven't at the top for so long. Um, you know, what changes, you know, should they make? Um, you know, that's tough to say because – just one year of not winning the national title. Right. You don't want to make wholesale changes. Um, I, I do know defensively it sounds like they're making uh, a little bit more change as far as um, they want to get bigger uh, on defense. Um, you know, it, it's been interesting that uh, NDSU, you know, defensively uh, the last few years they made an emphasis on getting uh, a little faster, um, especially at the linebacker position where they, maybe they don't have that 6'3", 245-pound linebacker like they used to have. Um, and they've gotten strong, and they've gotten faster to defend uh, teams that are spreading the ball out more. Well, that has also coincided with South Dakota State all of a sudden, you know, physically being superior than NDSU. Um, so now NDSU is kind of backtracking and say, well, maybe we do need to get a little, a little bigger. Maybe we do need a little uh, to get a little stronger because the one team that is beating us is South Dakota State, and South Dakota State has manhandled NDSU's front seven uh, the last couple of times. And so I think just getting bigger defensively. Um, more physical defensively, which is weird to say, but um, that's one thing NDSU can change. Offensively, I, I just think passing the ball more. Um, I mean, NDSU can get away with, with going, you know, 50 rushes, 10 passes in a game and winning a lot of games. But the problem with that is if you're Cam Miller and you go 6 for 10 for 60 yards, you know, every, every other game, that's fine as long as you're winning and running for 300 yards. But when there is that game where he needs to throw the ball 25 times a game to beat a team like South Dakota State, and Cam Miller's not comfortable doing that because the offense just asked him to throw the ball 10 times all the other games, you know, that, 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 that's when NDSU runs into a problem. So even though NDSU can line up in behind that offensive line and, and run the ball for 300 yards in a game if they want to, I still think they should spread it out and, and ask Cam Miller to do more with his arm, just repair him for those games where NDSU can't establish a run um, and he feels more comfortable throwing the ball 25 times a game. I think you went two for two there, right? When you look at, even if they don't have to make any changes, because they realistically, I, I, the real answer is they don't, right? Like they're going to contend every single year. But if there were to be changes, it would be to beef up that defensive front and that offensive front, which offensive front obviously is stout every year. I'm just saying beef it up a little bit and try to dominate South Dakota State's front seven, right? That's the omission that I, I think held them back from winning a national championship last year. And then offensively, right, it's Cam Miller. That ball's got to take flight. It's just something that they need to either implement in the game plan more often than they do or just he needs to work on it a little bit and, and give that coaching staff and that offensive staff the confidence to allow him to do so. I think he went two for two there. All right, Sam, last one for you. I saved Northern Iowa for last for a plethora of reasons. It seems like every year their fan base or just FCS fans in general are quick to be like, well, wait till the middle of the season when you and I makes their run. It's just something that they, they've – gain this reputation that they're always just just hiding in that blind spot. Like, they're always a good football team. They play in the Valley, so it's tough for them to shine a little bit. And I, I think everybody's expecting them to do the same exact thing this year, and it, and it helps that you have a guy like Theo Day. But I bring this up because on your toughest schedule list that you had posted on Thursday, 
you had Northern Iowa at the two spot. So I don't want to sit here and rain on the Panther parade and kind of, you know, get everybody off that high horse that they're on in UNI. But is is that the case here? Is their schedule just a little too tough for Theo Day? Or does he have the opportunity to just light scoreboards up? He's awesome. Yeah, this has been a theme for Northern Iowa, you know, basically every year now that they schedule incredibly tough in the non-conference, which I respect. I mean, it's fun when uh, Northern Iowa plays teams like Sac State last year or this year they're playing Weber State in the non-conference. I think games like that are um, great, obviously, for the FCS, and it's really fun for us. But every year it seems like Northern Iowa plays uh, a Power 5 opponent, and then they play a top 10, if not, or maybe a top 15 FCS non-conference opponent. Um, and then their third non-conference opponent is, is usually you know, a, a decent FCS team that they're favored to beat. And so oftentimes we, we see Northern Iowa – one and two going into Valley play. Um, and the Valley, you know, I think it's arguably the best conference in the FCS. Um, and so they're already up against it and almost in playoff mode through mid October because they're, they're sitting at three and four or something like that. Um, and, and we see Northern Iowa rally and, and finish seven and four, finish six and five, um, and be, and be in playoff contention. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a flipping of the switch for Northern Iowa because before, their offense just couldn't get anything done. Meanwhile, their defense was, you know, one of the most talented overall in the FCS. Well, last year was the opposite. The the, the defense struggled, um, and then Theo Day um, and his wide receivers, you know, they were putting up monster stats. Um, and so if uh, Northern Iowa, who brought back their defensive coordinator, Coach Johnson, um, he left for one year last year. He's back as D.C. for Northern Iowa. If they can get on the same level defensively that they were at three years ago, coupled with this offense, you know, this team is legit, but right now the, you know, they lose a lot of their top players defensively. Um, and so, you know, can they get back to that dominant defensive mode? I don't know, but even just allowing 22 points a game, which isn't, you know, it's not dominant, but it's not terrible. You're going to win a lot of games, giving up 22, 25 points a game because that offense is going to be scoring 35 points a game with video day at quarterback. Sam Herder money as always. You're listening to FCS nation on the Palmetto radio network. Welcome back to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. It's now time for Stone Lebanowitz and I to take a quick trip, and it's a very quick trip this week, y'all, because only three games in the FCS, but it's week zero, and let's preview the three games taking place this week in FCS football. Up first, North Alabama is at number 17, Mercer, and the FCS kickoff, 2.30 p.m. kickoff, live from Montgomery, Alabama on ESPN. I mean, check that out, Kev. ESPN 2, 130 kick. How about that? Right off the bat for a school like Mercer, you got to love that. UNA still trying to find their way. I think Mercer, you know, this line, this line officially hasn't come out yet, but I, I'd assume they're going to be two, three touchdown favorites here. They've notched back-to-back seven-win seasons. They're right on the doorstep of the playoffs. They're trying to navigate now, though, with a new quarterback. I love this Mercer team. I know you love this Mercer team. We talk at nauseum about what they can do defensively and how they're able to recruit linebackers in that front seven. So I like Mer- Mercer heavy in this one. And I, uh, Coach True Kronick, I'm a fan. I think he's a damn good coach, and he knows how to get the right people in the facility. And I heard him drop a quote about how excited he was to put his boys on ESPN right off the bat. That's an underrated storyline here. You are front and center in front of everybody everybody's going to be just wanting a little taste of football, even if they're not FCS fans. So there will be eyes on this game that I'm excited about. Well, many of us thought that North Alabama would come right into FCS after being a national power 
in Division Two and be immediately competitive. And the Lions, I mean, look, Stone, they didn't shy away from scheduling people, that's for sure, in their transition time. I mean, they played the Bison. They played Montana State. You know, they certainly uh, weren't afraid to see what they needed to do to measure up with the best teams in the subdivision. New head coach Brent Deerman, we had him on the show last season. Friend of the show. He's been brought in to get them over the hump as a D1 school. Quarterback is good. He returns. We'll talk about him in the next segment a little bit. But North Alabama, that's a rabid fan base there in the Shoals. We have a really good affiliate there, Fox Sports Shoals. Shout out to them. They're hungry for a winning FCS D1 football team. I think that's on the horizon. Yeah, Kev, now, I, like you mentioned. I, no, I just wanted to touch on Brent Deerman here before we, we, we roll on, and I know you have more points. But Brent Deerman, you know, in with the fear of sounding corny, i got to say, he's a culture changer. We love this guy. He came from Boca Raton, FAU. He knows how to coach kids at this level. They're still trying to find their footing. But Brent Deerman, I think he's a guy who can definitely make a difference, whether it's year one, two, or three. I think we're going to see it pretty soon for these guys following this one intense season. Sorry to interrupt you there. I'm just a big fan of Brent, friend of the show as well. Well, Mercer's been very, very close. You mentioned that, Stone. They've been very close to winning the SoCon and being a playoff team. Perhaps this is the year they finally do it for Coach Drew Chronic. As for the game, Mercer's the better team, but you really don't know what to expect in these Week 0 matchups. Will one team come out and put it on the ground five or six times, throw some interceptions? You just don't know. That's why it's going to be very interesting to watch. Up next, number 19, Jackson State versus South Carolina State. 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ABC from Atlanta. I mean, Kev, sign me up for this one. Again, I just talked about Mercer and UNA having all eyes on them. I think this one's big. This one's for the brand, Jackson State. Talk about Coach T.C. Taylor. This is an opportunity for him to just break the glass, kick the door down, whatever analogy you want to use. Kev, this one's going to be fun for a whole bunch of different reasons. You look at Buddy Pugh and, and what he's doing and how he's stepping down and how that affected the entire FCS realm. That, I don't want to say spells trouble for the squad, but Kev, your thoughts? I, I know you've been around Buddy for a long time. You know everything there is to know about him. You know how much of a legend he is in the game. Yeah, Buddy Pugh is one of the most well-respected football coaches in this country. Whenever there's a gathering of college head football coaches in the Palmetto State, which I'm native to, The head coach at South Carolina might have three people gathering around him trying to talk, but all the other coaches are gathered around Buddy Pugh. The guy's a legend. And he basically recruits three counties in South Carolina and whips everybody in the MEAC with those players from those three counties. It's just an an amazing thing. He's an amazing coach. But when you're looking at this ballgame, Stone, I think everyone is aware of the exodus of staff and players from Jackson, Mississippi, right after the Tigers lost to North Carolina Central in the Celebration Bowl. New head coach T.C. Taylor is leading that program now, promoted from within, a lot of new faces, and it may take them a little bit to gel. South Carolina State has none of those problems. Yes, new offensive coordinator, same quarterback, though. Coach Buddy Pugh is still at the helm, like we mentioned, and and in this game, I'm very interested to see the chess match between T.C. Taylor First-time head coach going up against Buddy Pugh, a legend in South Carolina college football. It's going to be a whale of a game, Stone. Kev, if there was going to be one storyline, one narrative, besides the exodus of staff like you had mentioned, because that's going to be number one. I guess I suppose I'm I'm talking about 1B. Is it for Jackson State that a SWAC three-peat is possible? Like That's the question, right? With all the turnover, that is the question. Well, look, I also think the question is, Who is this game bigger for? And I think it's bigger for Jackson State. If 
they can't somehow win this football game, then the narrative is going to be it was all Deion Sanders. It was all Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter. And I think it's important for them to keep this thing rolling because if it doesn't, Stone, it could snowball on them. And I hate to see that happen because I admire T.C. Taylor. I admire the Jackson State program. That's why there's just so much at stake in this MEAC SWAC challenge. It's going to be must-see TV, and I can't wait. Fordham is at Albany, 7 p.m. kickoff on Flow Sports. It's a shame more people won't be able to see this game, Stone, because it's on Flow Sports. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh or feel bad or, or kind of have an outcry as far as, why is this going on? Like, we need to do something about this. I don't necessarily have that for him. But I think Fordham's favorite in this game, maybe by a touchdown. I like Fordham. I think consistency is one of their main ingredients. Again, that's saying nothing wise. Nobody... Nothing nobody doesn't already know, but that's kind of tried and true for them. They love to start seasons right off the bat with wins. I think Albany's a good team to do it against, and I also think it's a good confidence booster to get your first game out of the way while nobody's watching clean, smooth, and kind of roll it in to week one. So I like Fordham in the spot. Not much to say about it other than that. Look, Fordham lost so much on offense from a team that made the playoffs last season. Albany wasn't very good in the CAA, and Fordham won this game last season, 48-45. But that was with their all-world quarterback and wide receiver. Quarterback threw for 464 yards last season against the Great Danes. But coming into this one, the Great Danes have the season quarterback in Reese Poffenberger. And if they can get him going, it could be a long day for Fordham. He was a freshman All-America last year, CAA Offensive Rookie of the Year. There's going to be some firepower. And it's going to come mostly from Albany, I think. It's going to be an interesting game to watch. Look, it's our job. We subscribe to Flow Sports because we have to watch the teams in the CAA play. It's another expense. But I think this one might be worth the expense. should be a really good ball game between Fordham and Albany. My favorite time of the week is coming up next. It's the pick segment. I know you're going to want to hang out for that. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. It's now time for my favorite time of the week, 22 weeks of the year. This is where Stone Labanowitz and I butt face mask and pick the biggest games taking place all around FCS Nation. This week, only three games in week zero. Up first, Stone, North Alabama is at number 17, Mercer, in the FCS kickoff. I love Mercer. I love everything about Mercer. I love Ty James, one of their wide receivers. He's going to have an insane year. Watch out for number one, three. He's going to put on, and I think he does that pretty early on in this game. Also, Devron Harper. This wide receiving core for Mercer is nasty. I know they're without the quarterback they had last year, but it's intriguing for me to watch a team who loses their quarterback that has senior wide receivers, right? It becomes this, we're the veterans now, we're the flashy skilled players, and we want to be satisfied. We need you giving us the ball because we're the ones who are going to find pay dirt with it. So look out for this wide receiving core. I think Mercer scores points in a lot of those points. I like them big in this game. The Lions will come in, strangely enough, with the more experienced quarterback and sophomore Noah Walters. Walters pretty good last year throwing for over 2,000 yards and 19 touchdowns. And he's got a talented group of wide receivers too, Stone. But Mercer will be led by sophomore quarterback Carter Peavy. Peavy started and won SoCon Rookie of the Year back in that thing in the spring, right, that 
I hope we never have to talk about again, except for when Stone and I want to talk about his days of glory, right? Uh, the Bears have two of the best receivers in the FCS. You mentioned them both, Stone. Ty James and Devron Harper. Peavy will get them the ball, and the Bears will win. Take Mercer over North Alabama in the FCS kickoff. Bears, 38. Lions, 20. Number 19, Jackson State versus South Carolina State in the MEAC SWAC Challenge, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. ABC Television, live from Atlanta. I have a feeling we're going to be standing on opposite sides of the fence here. I like Jackson State. I like them big as well. I think they're going to win by the margin, similar to what Mercer does to UNA. I just think that Jackson State... And when you have a brand new coach, you want to give him that first victory. You want it to feel like what you did in the spring, the the, the summer OTAs, every lift in the morning, and, and you want to make Coach T.C. Taylor as happy as you can. I think these guys come out hot. I think they score a lot of points here, Kev. I just feel something. Not me, sir. Not me, sir. This one is difficult for me to pick. It's a heart situation with this one. Been a uh, South Carolina State Bulldog fan since the days of Willie Jeffries and Robert Porsche and all those guys that played there. And I love Buddy Pugh. I think he's a great man and a great coach. But I think Buddy Pugh just might carve T.C. Taylor up in this one, Stone. And it's my upset special of the week. Take South Carolina State over Jackson State in the MEAC SWAC Challenge. Dogs win 27-24. Whoa, wow. Wow, bold move there. Okay, bold move to start it off. Game two of the season, and that's where we're going. Upset special of the week. Yes. Look, T.C. Taylor had nice success against Buddy Pugh and the Dogs from Orangeburg, South Carolina, when he was the offensive coordinator at North Carolina Central. Went 3-0 and against them. But it's just different when you're the head coach. you got to make decisions. Game management is a lot more than just calling the plays. I think T.C. Taylor and Jackson State are going to be a really good football team this season. But I think Buddy Pugh is going to bring his squad, a very emotional squad, with him announcing his retirement this week. And I think South Carolina State is going to put it on him. You watch. Fordham is at Albany, 7 p.m. kickoff on Flow Sports. I mean, we'll definitely be tuned in, but I'm going to have my notepad out for this game more so than have notes ready for this game and what to look out for. There's not much to be expected. You talk about all the turnover for Fordham. I don't know what that means for a football team. And we have a young hotshot quarterback that Albany does have, and you did touch on him, and I appreciated that because I wanted to get to him. I I think Albany's going to come out with something to prove, right? Nobody's talking about him, obviously. It's it's a good opportunity. They're kind of sitting in that blind spot, right? People know who Fordham is. They know what quarterback and, and... Kind of the star players that that team had. They were definitely impact players in the FCS. They were household names to coaches when you're breaking down tape. I like Fordham here. I don't think either of these teams score a lot of points in this one, but I'm going to go Fordham 21, Albany 10 here. I expect a little bit of a shootout in this one, Stone, but not close to a combined 100 points like last year. We'll see if a Patriot League team can reload one year when they lose a guy who set almost all the passing records and almost all of the receiving records in the history of Fordham, who's played football for a long, long time, Stone. We'll see. Albany, CAA, Offensive Rookie of the Year, freshman All-America quarterback, Reese Poffenberger. I'm going to go with the team with the established quarterback. Take Albany to beat Fordham 31-24. All right, this is how you know it's a new season, and this is how you know things are getting going in the FCS, Kev, because typically we have an entire slate, right, and we'll find one or two games where we are on opposite sides of the fence, but there are only three games in Week 0, two of them nationally televised, and we're on opposite sides of the fence, so this is going to be a lot more fun than I had originally thought. 
You went with Albany and South Carolina State. I don't see either of those teams winning. Kev, we're not seeing eye-to-eye here in this spot. South Carolina State especially, what are they going to have to do in this game specifically to kind of stop what Jackson State's been able to do offensively the past couple of seasons? I know it's the turnover, right? We don't have to talk about that, but they're good offensively. They always are. What is South Carolina State going to have to do specifically to you? What the Bulldogs always do which is disguise what they're going to do on defense and goad your quarterback into making mistakes, making bad throws, throwing interceptions, throwing incompletions in big moments. Buddy Pugh's a master of that. The Bulldogs will do that against Jackson State, and I believe they'll do it enough to win. That brings us to the end of another episode of FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. I'd like to thank our guest, Chris Van Dyne from Phil Steele and Mr. Sam Herter from Hero Sports FCS and BetMGM. FCS Nation is co-hosted by Mr. Stone Labanowitz, produced by Mr. Stone Labanowitz. I'm executive producer and host Kevin Marshall, thanking you for making FCS Nation a small part of your football Saturday. Like I always do, y'all, I'd like to remind you that life's a lot like football. You play by the rules and the penalties won't kill you. Until next week, so long, everybody. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network.